strange things are afoot at the Circle K. That kid is back on the escalator again. Hand on her. Is my boomstick. Game over, man. Game over. Welcome to the Bargain Bin. He is your host, Ben Mason. And he is your co-host, Sandra Luketic. And today we're talking about 2010's Stakeland. If you're listening to this episode, we assume you've already seen the movie. Can I start by asking you a question? Of course. What is the point of this movie? <laughs> uh, I don't know. See, if, I honestly don't know. I love it, though. I really do. If I didn't know, thanks to hindsight and retrospect, that there was a sequel, which I haven't seen yet, I would think that the entire premise of this first movie was sequel bait for a second one. Because stuff's happening the whole time, but nothing happens in this movie. Agreed. It is definitely a, a slice of life movie, uh, albeit a slice of apocalyptic life. Um, and I, I'm okay with that. I don't think it really has to have a point. I think it's a perfect snapshot of what would happen in a world overrun with vampires. Yes, but even in a situation like that, you can have even the most rudimentary premise be survival. Mm -hmm. That didn't seem to be the case as much as it was to try and get to New Eden, which um... they, which they don't even get to. Right? Like, survival is not the main focus. Obviously, it's the focus, but not plot-wise. It's a necessary component of getting to New Eden. And it's not even like the shit ending to the Will Smith I Am Legend uh, or alternate where there's people there or there's not people there. They just, mm -hmm. they don't get there. So this whole movie, they're trying to get to New Eden, and they don't get there. But they do get there. They don't. The movie ends as they get to the Canadian border, and you realize that Canada is New Eden. But they're looking not just for Canada, right? They're looking for a home. Okay. And there's this talk, like, even if you go back to an early scene where they're talking to the store clerk, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, we had a traveler come through here, and there's nothing there. There's no food. There's no people. And even in the mon like the commentary in his mind, Martin's like, I don't believe it. Agreed. So if New Eden is Canada, and the goal was just to get to Canada because zombies can't live with the Canadian exchange rate, I don't know. Well, they're vampires, but okay. Right. Oh, sorry. That's <laughs> it's actually, totally zombie land, man. That's something that I do want to touch on as well whenever we get to it, is how much these vampires are portrayed like zombies. Yeah, they definitely are. But we can circle back to that once I talk myself into a hole with this whole thing. <laughs> but again, I'm not necessarily wrong. Maybe I'm not defending it properly, but I watched this movie twice for the purpose of the review, and... At no point could I figure out what the point of this movie was. I got things that were happening. I think I caught on to some more thematic, uh, more kind of symbolic mm -hmm. uh, representations in the movie. But I never got the point of the movie. 
I honestly really do believe that the point of the movie is survival. Doing what you can to survive. And we will get back to that. I just want to ask you one thing. Sure. Did you like this movie? I hate to say it, but I did. Yeah, right? Uh, honestly, if I if I didn't like the movie, I would have watched it once for the review. But I watched it twice because I did enjoy it. And Lizzie, my significant other, for people who don't know, watched it the first time with me. And after the movie was done, was like, that was shit. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. And, like, the whole time I'm like, that movie was shit. She's not wrong. That was a shit movie. But I liked it. Oh, I disagree on shit movie. I think it's amazing. I don't know. It was a pretty shit movie. Uh, I, <clears throat> I hate to say I think I can see why you would think that. Um, but there's something I just realized today after my third viewing. Okay. Um, that made me really really think about it and i've decided that it's a fucking awesome movie okay and to do to do this we have to go through the characters okay well listen i am completely open to you changing my mind and even though i'd never heard of this movie before you told me we were reviewing it i'm now mm -hmm. kind of anxious to watch the sequel no no don't do that no no that's a terrible idea see Stay because away. i'm i'm on imdb and i'm looking at the plot summary for the sequel and first of all, they got a lot of the cast to come back, which in my mind was pretty cool. But then, like, the plot summary starts with his new life in, in New Eden gets turned upside down. I'm like, oh, so the objective of the first movie is met at the beginning of the second one. It made me want to watch it. And, and that's why I thought, if you told me that the whole purpose of this first movie was sequel bait, I'd probably the, be the most eager to agree with you over anything else. <laughs> okay uh keep this in mind though the sequel debuted on the sci-fi channel okay that's not good where did the first one debut tiff oh okay okay all right <laughs> well, cause I, was gonna wanna, say, I was gonna say i never never heard never heard of this movie i can't say like oh what happened to the sequel because it was such an acclaimed first movie? I didn't hear of it. Yeah, no, Nick DiMici, who uh, co-wrote the movie and played the role of Mr., um, he's a very highly regarded uh, screenwriter. So I... people were very, very excited for this to come out, especially where he tends to act in most of the movies he wrote, or he writes, but uh, never such a large character. I've never people seen... people pretty impressed. I've never seen him in a movie before. And I no. say this intended as a compliment. I would have never guessed he was a writer. I know, right? He, he just... was so good in the role that if you told me that he's just an actor, right? Like, not just an actor, but like, that's his focus. That's his primary directive. I would have believed it. Yeah, he's perfect as Mr. Yeah. He's such a good character. Yeah, he was a great character. He also co-wrote one of my favorite werewolf movies called Late Phases. Uh, I think now it's known as Late Phases, Night of the Lone Wolf. But he plays uh, an elderly blind vet 
like veteran, not veterinarian, um, who's living in a gated community and has to go up against a werewolf. Can I sense that one in our future potentially? Is that 100%. What you're, is that what you're alluding to? I <laughs> almost picked that for next episode. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, I thought we needed a break from Dimitri. Okay, well, you said you wanted to get into the character, so let's let's hop back on that. Perfect. Um, so right off the bat, we get Martin, okay. and probably the most traumatizing introductory like scene in a horror movie ever, where his parents die, and the like. I guess the second time you see the vampire, it has a baby. I was so disturbed by that. I'm not used to any movies depicting that of infants. And it just looks up at him as it's feeding and just drops it. Yeah, it got me. I was shook by that. And, like, I expect zombies, vampires, mummies, werewolves, anything to be feeding on people. But usually movies are pretty good from keeping it away from infants. Yeah. That is, that is like the line I use when I tell people about this movie. I'm like, you have to see this. Yes, it's a vampire film. Yes, I know you've seen a lot of them. Yes, a lot of them are the same. But this hits you over the head with the animalistic qualities of the vampire lore. Well, the reason that it makes it so real is that when you look at other movies, these vampires that are mostly feeding to survive, right? Like, or whatever, that's, like, they're not just doing it for the fun of the kill. They're, like, for them, that's survival. Mm -hmm. They're not gonna avoid infants, right? And the fact that they show that goes to the point where it's like, this movie is gonna be true to itself and as real as possible. Mm -hmm. And they do that right away. Yeah, it's Brilliant, man. It really is. And the introduction of Mr. during that scene, like right before you see the vampire in the rafters, uh, Martin runs out to get his dog, and Mr. tackles him and tries to keep him quiet. He's just such a badass hunter character. And like when, after they flee, after his parents are viciously murdered, he wakes up from it, and you realize it was him having a nightmare. And Mr. Jess says, one day you'll learn not to dream at all. Okay, I want to ask you a question, and I'm afraid it might take us on a very wide tangent. Go for it. Did Mr. take Martin with him out of the goodness that they try to portray in him? Or was it a recruitment for a new hunter? I don't know. I was thinking about that, too, because he is not a nice guy. He's I mean, a survivalist. They, they allude to it a couple of times. Right. And but anytime they do, it's almost like he's doing it out of self-preservation. Like when he carries. uh, What was her name? Belle? Belle. Yeah. Belle. She's like, oh, I know you're not as, you know, hard on the outside as you're like as badass. You want everybody to make you whatever the thing is. Right. Mm -hmm. But really, is he just doing it because she's slowing them down and he doesn't want to put himself at risk? And how many times in the movie do they meet characters that talk about how, like, oh, I didn't think there was any more hunters. I didn't think that you guys were still around. And it really feels like he was recruiting Martin. I could see that. Can can I mention something that really hit me about it? And 
I don't know if you would have caught it. I don't know if it was even intentional. Okay. The color of their clothing. I missed that completely. Do tell. Okay. So the very first time you see Martin, he's wearing that yellow raincoat. Brightest thing you can find. Mister is in the rain and he's wearing dark clothes that, thanks to the like moisture of the rain, look like they're black. Right. Mm-hmm. In, in the later scenes, we see that it's kind of like an off black, like a more like a gray, like a dark gray, like it's a maybe a dark blue, but it looks black. Okay. Mm-hmm. Martin has three primary wardrobe changes after that. The first one is the white shirt with gray stripes. Okay. okay. I've missed this completely. All right. The next thing we have is he has like a button up shirt that he puts over top of the white shirt. Kind of looks like a jean material. Maybe not maybe not denim, but you know what I mean? Like that dark blue jean looking material. Mm-hmm. And initially he has it open. But when the white shirt gets shredded, he closes it. So again, we're looking more dark. Okay? When they That's go very when they go to the house where they find the scamp, right? Mm-hmm. He puts on a new shirt underneath the denim, which is like a burgundy-ish color. Right? Hmm. Then, when you see him leave with Peggy at the end of the movie, he's wearing all dark clothes. So there's no... Like, they're out in the daylight, he's loading up the monster truck, and he's wearing dark clothes. Now, I didn't pay as close attention to Mr., but in the final scene that you see him outside of that place, he's wearing a tan jacket, which is like the lightest thing you see him wear in that movie. So you're seeing that weird shift in dynamic. It's almost like Mr. was passing it on to Martin to be, like, to take his place, to be the next hunter. Um, I completely missed that, but that makes me appreciate the movie even more. The other thing that I thought maybe it represented was that the brightness, the bright colors, the wardrobe represented um, whatever you want to say for Martin. Innocence hope, uh, childhood, youth, whatever. And as it's going on, not only is he changing his wardrobe, but because of things that he's seeing, he's killing, he's seeing people killed, he's seeing rape. And every time he has to change his shirt, it's because, oh, this got torn up, this got shredded up. And it's just representing how he's losing hope. He's losing his emotion. And he's becoming more of like that survivalist that... Mister is where you don't dream, you you don't show emotion, you don't talk, you 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 kill vampires, you fuck, you move, you go, and you just find a way to get to the next day. He's becoming a citizen of the new world. I mean, I don't know if you caught on to any of those aspects, but I, I mean, didn't. And the, I feel dumb now. Thank you. When I watched it the first time, I didn't notice the exact wardrobe changes. I just remember, like, I saw the one image of him loading up the truck with Peggy, and I'm like, wow, he's, like, it, like he's looking like he's trying to look like Mr. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you know what? The next time I watch this, I literally am going to take a piece of paper, and I'm going to write down his wardrobe changes as I see them to see what the progression of color is. And those are the only ones that I spotted in the movie. That's very interesting. Now I'm going to rewatch it just for that. I think that's a very, very good point. I totally see that in his character progression. So, yeah, I think that's obviously an intended uh, costume change. 
Well, what are your thoughts on that representation? Maybe you didn't notice it, but... I obviously saw Martin becoming the new mister. Um, I, I think that was pretty much foreshadowed from the beginning because there are those really... I hate these scenes, but there are those weird scenes where he's almost like doing Tai Chi with a steak. Yeah, those... And, they. I get the point of them, but they did not need as many of them. <laughs> we get is, the point. It was terrible. It was like Steven Seagal shit. You could have cut out a couple of them, and we still would have gotten the point. Yeah, just a, a couple shots. But I mean, at the same time, doing an overabundance of them also kind of shows that like, there's no letting your guard down. There's no point where in this world you can not be anything but on your toes. Yes, I agree. Um, I still want to talk about the other characters here because... I'm, I'm sorry, I, 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 I said this might take us on a really long tangent, so I apologize. <laughs> no, um, outside of Mister, every character we're intro, or introdu- or introduced to sorry, um, is an overwhelmingly positive character. Like, you could see them being a protagonist of any other film. You've got Martin, the child, who's trying to escape with his family. Uh, we'll skip over Mr. because he's the uh, the opposite of this. But then you get Sister, who we're introduced to as she's running away from two rapists, an elderly nun. And then we have Willie, who is a war veteran. And we have Belle who's a young pregnant woman who's just trying to survive in the encampment singing a country song. Like these are all wholesome characters that are trying to do their best in every way possible. Like, and they all get crushed in some way. Like it's a very depressing take on the protagonists of this movie. Yeah. But think about it. It, it ties in with what we said about those stake practicing scenes. You mm-hmm. can't be those people. Those people die. This yep. is a world where if your primary objective is not to fight and survive, you won't. You yep. if if you have hope, if you're positive, like if that's not drained out of Martin as you go, he's probably another victim. Mm-hmm. Right? So you need that. You need that contrast to show, hey, <laughs> you can't be these people. And it's it's a weird kind of trope you see in these post-apocalyptic movies whether or not it's vampires zombies or just like nuclear fallout you see people try and build up their community and almost create a new family and we start off with martin and mister and then we get sister we get willie we get bell and then we end up with just martin and peggy at the end can like, I say something completely random? Sure. Peggy is really pretty. Yeah, she is very pretty. She is very pretty. I also love how her character and Martin's character are basically the exact same person. Yeah, and she is going to be trained to be a hunter in my mind. She shows up. Okay, there's two things that I thought about Peggy. Okay? Mm-hmm. One, my initial thought was she's a vampire. Oh, interesting. Very I, I Am Legend. I literally thought with the progression of the movie showing uh, berserkers, scamps, um, whatever you want to call um, shepherds, 
vampire transformation because he, he seems was it what was his name shepherd was the bad guy what was his name jebediah jebediah thank you shepherd shepherd uh jebediah is like sentient thinking plotting clearly a vampire with a personality right so like you see this evolution from like berserkers to that and you're like oh the vampires are becoming more you know uh evolved more sentient i'm thinking peggy's gonna turn around and be this completely like inconspicuous vampire obviously that didn't happen right like there was no i think i would have liked that more if that was how it ended well because it would have been unending (laughs) Mm. um when when i realized that there wasn't going to be any sort of like terminator peel off the skin reveal type thing with her i (laughs) Again, looking at the wardrobes, when they're packing up the monster truck to leave at the end, or like pickup truck or whatever the, it had pretty big wheels, whatever. Yeah, big wheels. Uh, when they're packing it up, she's wearing light clothes, and Martin is wearing dark clothes, and it's almost like the cycle begins anew. Yeah, I did notice the dark clothes at the end. That was the only costume change for him I really picked up on, and it it kind of fell flat for me because it kind of it made me think they were trying to portray him as a badass when he really isn't at this point yeah but if you actually spot the gradual progression of the costume change it's not just yeah it does make much more sense if you watch from the beginning i get that and like that that makes sense as to why like it makes more sense as to why the first scene when we see his parents getting off it didn't need to be raining in that scene But it's a perfect reason to put on a raincoat, which is like the brightest piece of apparel you could have to start him off. Yeah. Right? Like, And I guess... It feels like that was intentional. Like, it wasn't an accident. What do you think is the biggest point of his change in the film? Because I think I know, but I'm curious to think, or to see what you think. Can you clarify your question? Uh, His character growth? He obviously has a turn in his character where he goes from being the like wimp for lack of a better word to being, uh, uh, not necessarily a badass, but, uh, willing to do whatever it takes to survive. So I think that starts as early as the scene when they're boarding up the motel to go fishing. Okay. He is doing his little monologue thing, which happens periodically, and he says the line, where'd all the hate come from? Mm-hmm. That's and, a very good line. Oh, one of the best in the movie. But it makes you think, like, he's starting to realize that it's not just vampires, right? Like, at the beginning of the movie, he's probably living a normal life with his parents. You assume that the outbreak has taken place, and they're starting to see what the vampires are doing. But now Mm -hmm. enough time has passed that the Brotherhood and all of these evil people, right, for lack of a more fancy term, are taking the opportunity to do whatever they want. And now it's not just a world against vampires. It's him against everything in the world. And there is that one line. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, without rules and law, all the things that the vampires kind of cause to go by the wayside, people are letting their true evil, right? Like, it's a, it's a whole f- f- 
you know, it's a whole conversation, right? Like if people don't have a sovereign to govern them, will mm-hmm. they act the same way, right? But I think and that that's... the shopkeeper when he said uh, how there's nothing up in New Eden. And it's not the vamps you have to worry about. It's the cannibals. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think the most important point of it is. Again, maybe it's if you're taking it with the mentality of sequel baiting, the whole point of his turn is to realize that vampires are not the problem. Vampires are a catalyst of all of the problems. And that there's so much more that he has to worry about. Because vampires could just be a weapon used against them, not just like, I don't know and if I phrased that right. <laughs> well, yes, obviously, but not just from the, oh, in this instance they were used as that, but literally the whole premise that vampires aren't necessarily our enemy. It's, it's the whole like, who do you blame, the gun or the person holding the gun, right? Like, it, yeah. it just opens up the whole idea that the world is the problem. Vampires just kind of started that in motion but what what is the point you said you had your answer i i think the turning point for martin was when he staked bell i think at that point he became a completely different person because it's the first human life he took uh technically first and second because she was pregnant and turning and he loved her and killed her and after that his emotions were completely subdued well there wasn't too much after that to see his emotions right like not a whole lot but you could tell he was a completely different person after the staking oh absolutely but we're talking like an hour and 40ish movie uh hour and 40ish minute movie that happens with like 10 minutes left in the movie which is why That's I found fine. it which is why I found it kind of weird that they were pulling up to Peggy's in motel whatever it was at mm-hmm. that point cuz I'm like what are they going to start something new there's only 10 minutes left right like that like that was kind of the end of it right but well the the story originally was uh, uh Nick Dimitri and the director um they wanted to do a, a web series in this world and they just do 8 minute episodes and then the uh, producer of the film, or who eventually became the producer of the film, convinced them they should make a movie out of it. And I kind of feel like they took a, the first few episodes of what they wanted to do and just turned that into a film. So that could be where your sequel bait idea comes from. I mean, I know there is a sequel, but obviously if I'm watching it at the time, because the sequel didn't come out till like six years later, mm-hmm. um, I don't have that to go on. Uh, but I would like to also point out that him sleeping in the bed with Peggy, uh, not that they did anything, we don't know, very unlikely, and Mr. sitting in a chair on his own is also kind of a reversal from the beginning of the movie where Mr. would hook up with women and Martin would just sit on a bench outside and wait. Yeah. It's a much more interesting film than you would expect uh, a random vampire movie to be. Um, we never really did get back to that. They don't come off as vampires to me. No, they definitely come off as uh, zombies. For they sure. come off as zombies that c- can't go out in the daytime. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there is one main theme 
that uh, I'd like to talk about. Absolutely, and it go is, for it. In a movie like this, you really expect a main thematic element to be hope. But in this, it seems like the main theme is hopelessness. Well, I mean, I'm pretty confident that that's one of the analogies I used of the clothing, that the color fading yeah. was him losing hope. Right? And I, I, there is one scene that made me realize this, and it was when everybody was holed up in the uh, school bus in the woods, and Mr. sitting in the driver's seat just leans back and kicks the door open, and you see the first snow start to fall. And I just got that feeling like they're all going to freeze to death. They have nowhere to go. It was also perfectly timed that they had just felt the baby kick. And yep. they're feeling joy. You know, there's a, you know, there's a, a chemical reaction in humans releasing pheromones like or endorphins that make babies fill you with joy, renewed hope, new life. And then his his response is this callous, just open the door, throw the bones out, like, hey, guys, that's great, but back to reality, like, we're still in the situation we're in, right? So dark. Yeah. And then, like, you see that Martin's still concerned, because he asks Mr. Like, what are we going to do when the baby comes? Right? Like, he's he's not even considering the fact that the baby might not come. Like, they might not survive. <laughs> they might not be around to find out what happens when the baby comes. He still has this, like, oh, this is going to happen. we got to figure out how to make the best of that situation. Whereas, like, Mr. almost shrugs it off. Like, eh, we'll see if we get there. Yeah. Right? And... That was a major standout scene for me, though. Were there any others for you? I mean, not in a more prolific way. There was a few parts that, like... Maybe they're just random lines or scenes that I wanted to just make mention of, but that not relevant or meaningful by any means. Okay. Because that one, that summed up the entire plot of the movie for me. Like, not the plot, but the theme, the the feeling, the sentiment behind the actual story. And I think that one scene actually made me really love this movie. Oh, I think for me it was the, the line where all the hate come from? Um, like, even the first time I watched it, I heard that line, and from that moment on, I was like, I'm invested. I want to see what happens next. And, like, mm-hmm. even right after, they catch the vampire that used to be a, a former nun, and they kill it. And Sister is even, like, kind of, like, looking down on them, like, why'd you have to do that? And it's like, it's not even a person. That, like, you know what I mean? Like, she still has some sort of humanity left in her that she's scolding them for killing a vampire like yeah they baited it but i mean better than the vampire baiting them exactly and that character too man you want to talk about one of the best death scenes in a horror film where she's running through the the cornrows and turns and sees the scarecrow that is basically crucified on the post and just makes the Jesus connection and says, Father, forgive me, and then shoots herself. Holy shit. I was really surprised by that. Me too, man. She survived so much, and that was that was her end. And, and, that was and I, think, I think the fact that it wasn't a big thing 
stood out to me more. Like, she survived so much, right? Being captured by the Brotherhood, witnessing all these deaths, the massacre when the vampires were dropped out of the helicopter. Like, she's seen so much. And she's just running through a, a cornfield, and she's like, I can't do this anymore. It didn't have to be this monumental, catastrophic event where she gives up. Even the littlest thing was the straw that broke the camel's back. And in movies, it always has to be that grand, mm -hmm. monumental gesture. But in this, it was just like, that's just it. I can't do it anymore. It happened on a more mundane thing. But the fact that she is incredibly religious makes a recognition of Christ and kills herself, which means she believes she'll be going to hell but hell is better than the world they're living in currently is a waking nightmare. Well, she like, does ask so for forgiveness before she does it, and that gets into a whole religious conversation. Well, We're yeah, not going to get there. But still. but even taking away the afterlife thoughts, in her mind, suicide is wrong. Mm -hmm. So regardless of thinking she's going to go to hell and that might be better, she acknowledges that she's doing something that's wrong and against her religion and asks for forgiveness, but does it anyway because she can't do it anymore. Like, she's just been beaten down too much. Yeah. Which I found that scene kind of... Why were they sleeping in the middle of the junkyard? Yeah, that's kind of weird. Like, I'm looking at it, and you see the berserkers jump over the bus, and I'm like, why don't they, like, grab something like a bus and fortify it and sleep in there? Like, Especially since... They've already armored cars to sleep in. Why not do it again? Yeah. Yeah. They've slept in trunks of cars and survived. Like, <laughs> you're, you're in a, you're in a uh, I don't know if it was a junkyard, scrapyard, whatever. But, like, you're telling me you can't find, like, fencing and parts to board up a bus? You sleep in a bus later in the movie. Mm -hmm. Instead, you're like, all right, let's just sleep in the open here. And, and I will say, a lot of these movies... You question the mentality of the the protagonists. Like, I know mm -hmm. a lot of the times, like Resident Evil 3, for example, you see oh. all these survivors that have been surviving for a year, and, like, they've learned to adapt to this world. And then they just blindly go walking into a motel and get killed, right? Like, it's like, where are these lapses in the judgment that we're supposed to believe these people accrued over a long period of time of surviving? This movie, they don't make that many mistakes which is kind of nice to see right that one was a pretty glaring omission but yeah normally the characters in this movie are free from the tropes of like completely just dropping their guard of common sense uh when they're like defending themselves yeah outside of that one scene they've been they were pretty good at uh, establishing that like competent survivalist mentality yeah and like you see in the in the scene in is it striverton where where did the vampires get dropped from the helicopter that sounds about right yeah uh you see the one guy and they make a point of kind of like focusing on him that has like a, a shotgun and he's shooting a, a vampire and he's not even running he's standing still trying to pump shots into it and i'm in my mind i'm like oh that's a stark contrast from how these guys fight the, you know, Mr. and Martin, they fight intelligently. This guy's standing in the open, not even trying to move. Take a shot, run, right? And I thought, oh, beautiful. They're showing how these characters that we don't know, like just kind of side character window dressing guys, 
who aren't that intelligent aren't surviving because they do stupid things. And then these yeah. guys don't. And then they sleep out in the open in the junkyard, which maybe that's just me nitpicking, but that one scene really stood out to me. Just why? Why aren't you smarter? <laughs> that uh, Going back to what you're saying about that scene at the settlement, that was heartbreaking, man. But that was I another mean, scene that showed that settlement had hope. That they was were, it. I, I made a note of it, too, saying that that was one example where hope is still alive. They had the community they were trying to rebuild. They had dancing with music. And then it was just destroyed. And they lost 10 people. And you see that the... I don't know if he was the leader or just the one taking charge of the volunteer militia had been bitten. And you're like, well, that's mm-hmm. not going to go well, right? Like, <laughs> and, and you think, like, Mr. could say something. And he clearly, like, his, the reaction on his face when he sees it, he realizes this is, this is bad juju, but he doesn't say anything. He just, yeah. he's like, I'm not, almost like either, one, he's not going to bother because they might ask for help or he's going to have to do something and he can't be bothered because that's not in his best interest. Or two, he doesn't want to take their hope away. They're not a hunter that he's kind of molding into his image so let them be hopeful. Let them enjoy what they have left of their lives in a happy way, more oblivious to, not oblivious, but like kind of ignorance is bliss, like if a out of sight, out of mind type mentality. I don't know. I, I'm really, and I think that's one of the things I loved about it. I, I still can't read Mr. that well. Yeah, but in the right. way that there's multiple ways that I can read him, and I love the dimensions of that character as a result. So good. And that really is Dimitri in almost every role I've ever seen him play. He just has this weird screen presence. Well, um, and that's that's him in every role I've seen him in. Which is <laughs> one of one. What uh, what did you think about the like the look of the movie? Uh, I thought it was perfectly suitable. Um like most of these post apocalyptic everything is in disrepair. And you see mm-hmm. In some places, but then you see in other places like the house where they find the scamp, right? Which is a great great scene, which also kind of focused on the evolution of vampires in my mind. Because, again, Mm -hmm. you go from berserkers to the scamp that obviously she's still interested or forwarding, but she's more hesitant. She's not as relentlessly pursuing to what we see from Jebediah. It was a natural evolution. But you see, the house is not destroyed, right? No, like, not at you, all. You see one of these, I'll say zombie movies, because that's what they primarily are. And, like, the few people in the house die. But then somehow the house gets completely destroyed like a hurricane went through there. <laughs> it's like, well, who did that if the people inside are dead, right? Like, maybe some scavengers who were looking for food, but they'd have no reason to throw around a coffee table. Nobody's hiding food in there, right? Like... It just made more sense that they made it fitting. Like, yeah, people are dead in the house, but the house is still fine. Yeah. I think they spent the money in the proper areas. Because this movie was only $650,000. And I thought it would looked more like a $30 million movie. Okay. Now, having said that, do you want to guess how much it made in its opening weekend? <laughs> Because this blew my mind. What was its budget? 650000 $2 million? 
7,258. Hey, they, they made a profit. No. No, they did not make a profit. No, the worldwide gross for the like total box office was $405,000, so they didn't even come close to making back their money. That's a shame, too, because, again, there's some glaring issues with the movie, but I still liked it. <laughs> it's a great movie. I have the uh, the Blu-ray, and that's how I've been watching it. And, like, there's so many interesting features on there. There's two different commentary tracks, a making-of documentary. They did seven short films that were origin stories for all of the main characters and Jebediah as well. Super interesting. Very well done. It's just... It's a shame this movie's not getting the recognition I think it deserves. Well, maybe this will bring attention to it for some people. <laughs> Get Dimitri on the phone. Stakeland 3, now. Uh, well, I mean, after what you said about Stakeland 2, maybe not. Yeah, it's pretty rough. That's They really tried to make Martin that hardcore, badass Mr. character, and the actor just can't do that. Yeah, but I saw on the cast list that Mr. was listed. I don't know if he was actually a prominent yeah. character, but uh, um, that's disappointing. It's a watch, but it's not. Uh, it's nowhere near as good as the first one. Any other big topics you want to talk about? Uh, Stakeland related? Yeah, that is the movie we're talking about, isn't it? <laughs> um, Have I been doing no, the right podcast this whole time? <laughs> no, there was a. Uh, one title of an IMDb review that I thought kind of summed it up for both of us. Okay. Vampire slash zombie road movie that maintains originality and heart. With no point. Well, uh, no, maybe I don't, I don't know. <laughs> can I, again, like I said, it's a slice <laughs> of life movie. Uh, can I just point out a couple of other things at random? Okay. Um, the scene where Martin runs away from the Brotherhood to get back to the car, to get the weapons and go back for the Brotherhood. Yeah. I found it hilarious, because he says, and I even pulled up the script online to make sure that I heard it right. Uh, <laughs> he says, Mr. taught me how to read the stars. And then, like, two lines later, he says, I have to get back to the car before nightfall. So what does it matter if you can read stars? That's a very good point. Like, the whole idea is I'll be able to escape because I can read the stars. Like, you know, navigate myself, compass, whatever. But I have to get where I'm going before I can use that to my advantage. Yeah. There, there are some uh, shortcomings in this uh, movie. Again, sure. it's a tiny one. I'm just, I wanted to bring up some random things. Well, that's like Jebediah's son, who uh, Mr. Stakes in the back with that weird, like, four-sided stake he throws. It almost looks like... uh, He's like 16. The guy's obviously 28. It looks like one of those uh, four-sided tire irons. Yeah, exactly. that has, like, spikes on it. I just thought that was kind of odd. Poor choice on the director. What a throw, though. That was a good throw. Um, Also, stabbing that one guy in the throat. Jesus. But, like, later on... Jebediah says, like, my son cried for his mother for three hours. In my mind, I'm like, how did he even get back? (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, how did he get off that exact spot in the road? Because there's no way he got up. That that cross tire iron stake went right through him. Like, Oh, yeah. Came out the other side. 
Yeah. I don't know. And then how did he identify who did it to him? Because the first guy was definitely dead. Oh, yeah. And even if he made it back, like, he saw them for three seconds before something stabbed him through the back. My guys, that's pretty accurate reporting of their identity, if you ask me. And the Jebediah character, like, while I really appreciate the idea of the cult in the vampire world, Uh he's a terrible villain. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, right down to leaving Mr. with the vampires and a torch and just driving away. He's like, don't let that torch go out. And drives off. You're like, why don't you just wait and see? Make it's, sure. very, it's very Bond-esque, <laughs> eh? I'm going to just very. leave you in the most escapable trap and hope it doesn't <laughs> come back to bite me. Now, I mean, I feel like part of it was, like, this is a more torturous way for you to go, right? Like, Yeah, if we, but he's a known hunter. Well, you would think like, that they would have something better set up, even like a metal pole in the ground that they handcuff people to before they leave them out there. Like, perfect. It really just felt like, oh, this is very convenient for the plot. But I agree with you. He wasn't a very good villain. He was an even worse vampire. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know it's bad when you're like, man, if I was him, I would have done that a lot better. Yeah, right. But even having, like, Mr.'s hands, like, stuck into a wall after he's basically again religious symbolism crucified him mr still just kicks him yeah and drives that stake through his heart that uh that martin starts by putting in his back like how shitty of a villain are you if you've already crippled somebody all they have to do is kick you and you die well it just goes to show how the world is the problem he was more of a threat when he was a human than when he was a vampire very good point. I didn't think about that, but yes, he was. And he was much more terrifying as the cult leader than a vampire. Yeah, go down to the crick, get us some water. <laughs> I couldn't get over how he said crick. The crick. I will say, though, that scene where they get ambushed, uh, I guess it's kind of like a church outside, where they where mm-hmm. it looks like there was a, a ritual cult suicide. That was awesome, and they used the uh, the recording of the baby crying to bring them into the church, or not the church, but the uh, the tent. Great scene, right? Mm-hmm. But it did make me think of a few things. Okay. One, I knew it was an ambush right away. Really, I didn't. What if you, you off? go back and watch it, and they show, like one of the guys is laying on the ground with a cup, mm-hmm. and the cup is. Brand new. And as soon as I saw that, I'm like, either that's a mess up by the production crew, or they're not really dead. Because even if you were to assume this happened a long time ago, the bodies should have decayed a little by then. Even if the liquid, which they show in a jug, is like bright red, would have stained the cup. Or there would have been a few drops in it. But it is a brand new cup. As soon as I saw that, I was like, this is an ambush. What if it was recent and they just like new cups? It's in the guy's hand as he's laying on the (laughs) ground. You have to assume that's the cup that he used, right? I, based on what I've learned about the movie thus far, choose to believe that that was intentional. 
because it feels like not a lot of what they did wasn't intentional. Yeah, the one thing that kind of tipped me off but didn't really sell me on it is the fact that if it was a religious group, they wouldn't have left the baby alive and killed themselves first. Well, I mean, even that, it's like, how do we kill the baby? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like that, it almost looked like, okay, we're going to sacrifice ourselves for this baby. That's going to be the new Messiah. We like that didn't. Oh, that's an interesting take. That didn't throw me off at all. But as soon as I saw the empty cup, I I thought this is not real. It's going to be an ambush, but that's not what I was going to get to. The part that made me think about that is how long do they sit in that tent waiting for someone to come by? (laughs) Three days. Or, or how quickly, how many times have they run this drill that they can get into position when they hear a car coming? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's very convenient that they came upon that scene and everybody was in their proper spot, faking their death. It's the moment we've been waiting for, guys. Get in position. (laughs) We've been training for this for years. Um, But that's what, that, like, again, I enjoyed the scene, but it did... It, it had the most loose ends that made me want to pick it apart. I guess, yeah. It's not a movie that lends itself well to being uh, picked apart. But if you don't if you don't overanalyze it, that scene is a very good scene. Yeah, I liked it. The whole movie, I think, is amazing. I understand why some people would dislike it. It's not for everybody. It's very dark, morose at times. But as a horror fan and a vampire fan, I don't really see how anybody could call it a shit film. It's a shit like, film. It, it's it's. It a is shit. not a shit film. But listen to me, I really enjoyed it. I think there's a lot good to it. You can enjoy a shit mo- a movie though. What makes it a shit movie? Because a movie needs to have something happen. It needs to have a point. I was entertained for ninety eight minutes. That includes credits. Yeah. Again, I go back to the very first question I asked you when we started this. What was the point of this movie? Showing what life is like in a post-apocalyptic vampire-ridden world. Okay, well then that makes me ask the next question. Why? You could ask that about any movie. Yeah, but at least with other movies I can say, well, this was the intention. This was the point. What was the point of Rain Man? I don't know. I've never seen it. What was the point of Jurassic Park? I don't know. I've never seen it. What was the point of the howling? What's the howling? Fuck you, dude. Okay, okay. I've seen Jurassic Park. I didn't see the other two. But all right, we'll we'll just leave it at that. Why don't we uh, Why don't we give our closing thoughts on it then? Okay. Do you want to go first? You want me to take this? Why don't you take it, and I'll just ask you your closing thought by asking, by starting you off with this question. Do you yeah. recommend this movie? 100% I recommend this movie. It is my second favorite vampire film of all time. Um, oh, okay, I gotta ask. You can what's, find what's, it pretty... what's number one? 1985 Sprite Night. I don't think I've seen that one. Well, you're going to. Okay, yay. Eventually. <laughs> what about Lost Boys? No. Uh, Lost Boys is probably third. But it's got I Feldman like in it. I like more. Who cares about Feldman? It does have Hayne. That, that gives it a plus for sure. But Now, this movie, I just, I found it had heart. Uh, I found that it really dealt with hopelessness in a, in a realistic way. Um, everybody 
is fighting for their lives. Everybody has the odds stacked against them. Not everybody makes it. It's very realistic in that sense. It's heartwarming. It's heartbreaking. It's well-written. It's well-filmed. The sound is done perfectly. The casting is phenomenal. I think it's a solid vampire film. I think everybody should give it a chance. I can't disagree with what you've said. Um, I want to actually pile on the emphasis of the casting is done phenomenally. Mm -hmm. And I will say I also recommend this movie with an asterisk. Okay. You have to be the kind of person who can suspend disbelief and be all right with not picking it apart. Agreed. 100%. I picked, I picked it apart more for this review or post-credit conversation. But the first time I watched it, I didn't. I just kind of watched it and I had a blast with it. If I watched it the first time in that more critical eye that I'm sure there are some viewers out there that they can't help but watch a movie like that, I wouldn't mm -hmm. recommend it for them. But anybody else, I'm with you. I recommend the movie. I'm so stoked that you enjoyed it. I thought if you gave it a chance, you'd appreciate it. I didn't realize you'd appreciate it that much, but that it makes it even happier, man. But I'm still calling it a shit movie. I don't care. You still recommend it and you enjoyed it. You can call I, it whatever you want. I'll take that as a win. I can't emphasize this enough. I really like the movie and I recommend it. But you can really like and recommend a shit movie. Yeah, it's like most of my movie collection, I guess. It's it's the weirdest situation. The movie has so many amazing pieces, casting, thematic hope details, but the whole is just missing that <laughs> it factor. There's just that one little... It's like it's just missing the glue to make that all come together in a better way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get you on that. I can I can kind of see where you're coming from. Well, anyway, this was a lot of fun, Ben. What are we, what are we talking about next time? Ooh, next time is one of my all-time favorite movies. Has nothing to do with horror, but it is 1995's Glory Days. In this beautiful city, Santa Cruz, the guys at El Rancho Grande have received a wake-up call. Welcome to the real world, Jack. Hey, I really like that hate t-shirt. Whole angry young man, black thing, generation. You know what I mean? For these friends, college has been the best time of their lives. We finally made it! <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we did. But now, they don't know whether to move on or hold on to what they've got. Guys, I'm not moving out. Stay here and cruise for another year in El Rancho. What's another year, right? I mean, we're young and stupid and unattached. I always thought you were cute. When we would play spring softball together, I'd always look at your butt. Ben Affleck. Up the Academy, right? Yeah. 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 Alyssa Milano. I like you. The kind of like you where I get to see you naked. French Stewart. Elvis has left the building. 
Megan Ward. I blew the prime directive of girlfriending. I got between a guy and his friends. John Reese davies I am old and cynical. I'm allowed to be bitter. You are still young. You should be filled with ideals. And Spalding Gray. You gotta know when it's time to go. Isn't there a third option between burning out and fading away? I, is that a sports movie? It is not a sports movie. And I hate to inform you, but it, it stars uh, Ben Affleck before famous. I love Ben Affleck. Really? Yeah, why wouldn't I like Ben Affleck? Hey, he was the bomb in Phantoms. <laughs> Phantoms like a mother <laughs> <laughs> No, it's great, man. This movie has, and like this is all pre-fame for everyone. It's got uh, Ben Affleck, French Stewart from uh, uh, Third Rock from the Sun. It has Sam Rockwell. It has Matt Damon. It has Matthew McConaughey. It has Alyssa Milano. It has uh, John Reese davies It has that, Megan Ward. That was one of my first childhood crushes that you just said there. It's great, man. I love this movie. I bought it on VHS in 98. I bought the DVD. Unfortunately, no Blu-ray release because, come on, it's 1995 <laughs> Ben Affleck. Who's going to do that? But, uh, no, it's great, man. A, a wonderful punk rock soundtrack, too, with the Vandals, no effects. It's, it's just... A fun movie that here I'll give you the basic outline. It is no, no, no. Ben that's Affleck. for the next episode, man. <laughs> you're I'm getting, getting too far. Into the, you're getting way too ahead of yourself. I'm so excited. I am so excited, and I'm. I'll be crushed if you hate this movie, but it also doesn't matter because I'm just going to talk over any negative thing you have to say. I mean, that movie is perfect. You, you said Alyssa Milano is in it, so a part of me is going to like it no matter what. Wonderful. Anyway, this was a blast. Yes, but thank you, man. It is that time, closing time. Grab your final purchases, get to the cash register, and we'll see you next time.